The business of culture, the culture of business, media and technology, policy, odd lots, creatives, what else? Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. I always say I'm just a guy who schleps to work, man. I'm just living my life, go to work to pay my bills like anyone else. And this little thing started catching on, catching on the Miami Stadium. This is a movement, people coming up to me on the streets telling me how much they love it, how they learn. And that's where really over the past few years, you could really feel like, okay, this this is a thing. Like this means something to people and people are learning. It's always that balance of uh, educational and entertaining that I try to maintain. Abel Sanchez, the impresario behind Instagram phenom Miami Stadium, on representing history in the rapidly changing Magic City, getting recognized on the streets, and even maybe trying to make a bit of a living out of this passion project. Do stay with us. This episode is made possible by the support of Salomon and Ludwin, a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salmon and Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence, recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. More at SalomonLudwin.com. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. The link is FullDRadio.com. You can follow on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at handle FullDRadio. And a shout out to our listeners on WVTF Radio IQ, Virginia's NPR news station. You can DM me to carry Full Disclosure on your air. Joining me from a secure, undisclosed location in the 305 in Miami. I mean, he could be above a carniceria, a grocery. I, I imagine you, you know, you're a man of everywhere and nowhere in Miami is exactly. Abel Sanchez of Miami <laughs> Stadium. He's a historian, owner of Miami Stadium LLC. He is a man of all corners in South Florida, wow. creative. You've been a promoter. You've worked in hospitality. You've worked in transcription. Welcome to Full Disclosure, sir. Oh, thank you for having me, my brother. You're a legend. No, you are a legend. Here's how this stuff works. You know, they say it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. This is my show and I will book who I want to. Dear listeners out there, there is a moral to this story in uh, my favorite Instagram account. I've been very open about it is Miami Stadium. Here you have in the personification of Abel Sanchez. A historian, a person, a child of the 305 out there collecting unbelievable footage and stories and photos and backstories. And he's created quite a following on Instagram. Again, if you follow him at Miami Stadium. Sir, I want to pose the question to you, like in that line in office space. uh, What exactly is it that you do? Oh, man. You know, I I always say I, I created this little labor of love, you know, that, uh, I look at it as like I'm in more archaeologist than historian, mm. I guess you could say. I just like to dig. I've always liked to dig deep in the crates, whether it's music, movies, culture, and started this page uh, literally dedicated to the historic Miami Stadium. And it kind of grew from there and evolved into like this cultural thing. Now, Miami Stadium was a historic venue in Alapata in Miami. I think, you know, you have one of the famous photos of, I think, Fleetwood Mac playing there in 1997. Yes. Um, Tell us the backstory of this, what your attachment is to Miami Stadium, how you decided to do this. Was it kind of on a lark on Instagram? Totally. I was simply, I remember it was Thanksgiving weekend, uh, 2016, randomly looking for photos for content, and I wasn't finding any. There was a little page on Facebook that I used to be on 
uh, original Marlins in Miami, my boy Kurt Schweizer, a lot of that revolved around the Miami Stadium. I was contributing a lot of content, like a lifetime's worth of continuous research was kind of coming out there. I start looking at Instagram and it's kind of a blank canvas, you know, still there's nothing on Miami Stadium. And so I literally checked the handle. It was available and I was off and running, just dropping a few photos and going from there. Now, I'm thinking about myself reporting the book Hotel Scarface, where I think uh, was one of the impetus I, originally for us to get in touch. Uh, I'm in there in the old Flagler Street Library has, what is it, the Miami Public Library, the uh, yep. History Miami, whatever it's called. But I got to tell you, it has a very 1983 essence to it. And as I remember those very. field trips when they took us there, a lot of homeless people. Uh, yes. Very sleepy, you know, John in the Sunshine Room, who used to help me in the Sunshine Collection. Oh, he's a legend. Another He's one. a legend. And you had to go and uh, do this vision quest and ask, you know, a famous person, where can he be? And then you finally meet him and he's like, who wants to know? And I was like, I come in peace. I'm here as a reporter. Exactly. <laughs> uh, after, you know, se meeting several homeless people and people who knew the library better than most of the professionals there. I understand yeah. that the whole thing is going to get knocked down. But the frustration of interpolation, I mean, the Miami Herald itself which was the paper of record for the longest time. Whatever's left of it, it's still the paper of record. But yeah. there wasn't even a neat searching system for names or photos. You had to go before 1982 and get the microfiche and truly interpolate. I mean, he'd have binders of hotels and hospitality and organized crime. And then you might uh, speak to Dawn in the other room. And then meanwhile, there are people like you and Casey Paquette who – have been adept at finding these photos, finding the stuff that would be lost otherwise in kind of Miami's 125-year-plus history and posting that up there on the internet and amplifying them. Yeah, I mean, Casey Paquette, man. Yeah, I always say there's, you know, Dr. Paul George. Right. Dr. G, who's the daddy of us all. And, you know, Casey's a Dr. G disciple, as I like to call it. So he he's the guy that I was just talking to him a few days ago. Is super supportive, one of the real legitimate guys. And that's kind of like we all kind of have to go through that little route of whether it's the main library, the microfiche, internet, of course. And it's a great outlet, the page, because I have all this, like I said, it's just a continuous uh, lifetime's worth of research. And you just put it out there and, and see who feels it and who's interested in it. But the main library is huge. I spent a lot of time on that microfiche, brother. That's the frustrating thing is you'd have to ask people who knew people who knew people who could roughly yes. tell you prior, you know, the Miami Herald acquired the Miami Daily News, which I think last published, right. what was it, New Year's? You probably know the story, 1990, 1988, 89. Yeah. And for a brief moment, Google had archived many off years and scanned the actual Miami newspaper. So if you're me looking for Ricardo Monkey Morales or TikTok stuff, uh. pre-1982, pre-internet Miami Herald archive stuff... You have to go in there and say, do you remember when you say you saw this 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 DEA agent who was shot in the rear? Do you remember roughly when that happened and when I could? It was it was so absurd. It was me taking note cards around and sharing them with John and Don. And there'd yeah. be like a legendary Rolling Stone article that was quoted in the Miami Herald. And there are people coming, kind of coming out of that disruption that are connecting the pieces. Like I can go on Casey's you know, Miami history site, and he'll tell me the story of a long ago motel and a yeah. long ago defunct street in downtown Miami. And he's just doing that out of his interest and out of oral history and, and ditto you. Yeah, you know, it really, I always say, in a way, it's a very selfish pursuit because my page is very much me and my interest. 
It's all the stuff that I'm into. The historic Miami Stadium in Alapata is the heart and soul. And then it went out from there because how do you not do the Orange Bowl? How do you not do Fifth Street Gym? How do you not do the Highlight? How do you not do the Cocaine Cowboys? How do you not do the Mutiny? So it, it's all relative because it all falls under Miami. It's, it's all us. And then you're digging for something over here. And on the way to that, you find three other interesting things you didn't know over there. So it's the so who are dig, you pinging to fill in the blanks? I mean, it, we know exactly. stuff. We know of the pat, you know, the dive bar in front of the Orange Bowl, the famous place. We know of the yeah. no parky guy with the. I mean, <laughs> pe- my kids won't believe me if I tell them back in the day the Orange Bowl used to kind of seep the worst trash and sewage and everything. But we loved oh. it, darn it! And our our yeah. our canes competed every January, darn oh. it! And there was always there was not enough parking, but there were always these dictatorial. Cuban guys with posters that say $10 parky or no parky and a bar yeah. that you would go to and various, you know, sign language things that you would do. And you're the only one kind of out there preserving uh, that history. You know, I, I, I try. I get that a lot. I always I, I joke, you know, it's getting real when people start recognizing you in Ventanitas. Tell and, our and listeners what a Ventanita is, where I see you on the pictures. It's quintessential right. Miami. Yeah, that's that's so us. the window the windows where you get kind of a ham and cheese, a coffee. The old the old folks, the OGs like to gossip. You know, the most famous one is what is it? At Versailles, where there was always a news Versailles. truck parked across the street, where you could get the little cups of coffee and the caffeine and the protein and the carbs. Uh, you are a virtual ventanita for me. Ah, uh, you know, I, I live I live there. I'm not far from Versailles. And Mary's Coin Laundry off 27th and US1 is usually my go-to part of my routine. They're open 24 hours. So here's a coin laundry that serves everything from coffees to pan con biste all day and night. That's Miami. So that's where you go and you kind of chop it up with people. So you know you're kind of getting there when you get recognized and everybody's always like, you know, love what you do. Keep going. Keep pushing. Because a lot of that is just stuff that we grew up on that's, that's no longer around. It's gone. Tell me about Mary's Coin Laundry. Was it the photo of the big African-American woman back in the day? The actual laundry, the coin laundry shut down. And now it's it's a great place. That whole area has reinvented. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, well, like most of Miami. Like most of Miami. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you always say my Miami really no longer exists. There's a few little pockets, but it's this constant development. Mary's is great because it's, it's still very local, you know? So you can go there, like I said, day or night. And that ventanita is open. Whatever you need, man, from coffee and, and drinks to sandwiches, they're going to take care of you. So it's it's a very like quintessential Miami spot. And it used to be a coin laundry. It still is. It's still a coin laundry. <laughs> it's an operating coin laundry. And they had the foresight, the owners who are wonderful people, to just knock down a little section and redevelop it as a ventanita. Uh, they've had it, I think, since the 80s. And it actually, fun fact, it started as a pizza window. Hmm. But then Cazola's opened a few miles down the road, which is Put one of our... business. Yeah. Exactly. So they kind of, okay, we need to switch it up and do sandwiches. I got to tell you, in all my life, and you know, I worked in Miami uh, at the turn of the century, I like to say, between 98 and 2000. And wow. oftentimes I'd take, I'd take my car in 95 downtown, but other times you'd want to take Biscayne, US1 all the way down. And to another one of your themes, Perico y Puteria, for those who don't understand, back in the day, I think the history of... You know, whatever you call it, US one going through Miami, you had all of these motels that yes. were the place to stay. If you were going to the Keys, if you were coming down the East Coast and you know, before the interstate highway system, before I-95 paved through yeah. Miami, there were these places to stay that looked luxurious. But by 
I think the 70s and 80s, they became by the hour motels that were infamous for prostitution, for crack dealing. Some public figures were caught in these motels. And to show you how far the worm has turned is these places have now become, you know, as the area broadly is refined into Art Basel and the Arts District, and they've given them names that I never had growing up, such as uh, Midtown, the Upper East Side, Wynwood. You know, sounds sounds very fancy, right? Sounds very fancy. Uh, is does it blow your mind that some of these properties, like Avra Jane, did one that was a crack den, effectively, which is now an aspirational boutique motel? Talk to me about that. You know, there's there's an old saying that. Uh, I think it's something akin to uh, if you hang around long enough, like hookers in old buildings, you get respect. <laughs> and that seems to be what happened. The district you're talking about, Biscayne Boulevard, which is the main vein of Miami, right? That is the road, US 1. It was literally littered with these motels back in the day that you're talking about. They're still standing, but renovated. And a lot of that district from like the 50s up to about the 70s on Biscayne Boulevard is known as the MIMO district. The MIMO Miami stands Modern. for Miami yeah. Modern. Wow. Miami Modern. And they redeveloped the Shalimar and the New Yorker and the Vagabond and all these hotels, little motels, little two-story gems, like I call it, um, which now all pretty and nice and you rent. They've got restaurants and there's a Starbucks across the street. But back in the day, they were nice in the 50s and 60s, then nice now, but in between the 70s and 80s, that was ground zero for Perico y Puteria, which was my the shirt I did to design the tribute to Biscayne Boulevard back in the day, which you got to keep it real. I always say there were more prostitutes on Biscayne than palm trees. I mean, this is they were synonymous with it, and it was seedy as hell, and that's what was going on. These turned into by-the-hour motels, and it was just madness, man. And unpack, you know, uh, Angelo Falcone, who handed this to me, uh, uh, he made these mutiny hats, but Perico was one of the nicknames for cocaine in my book yes. because uh, people who took it back in the day, they'd start yapping like a parrot. A like Perico's a parakeet. Parrot, like a parakeet. Yeah. You'd be uh, chomping Chirping away. just constantly. <laughs> constantly, yeah. It was Literally, it was Perico and puteria, which of course is just prostitution or just getting into any kind of shady activity in general. So that was just a saying that I used to say years ago when I was living on the beach, kind of going hard and partying in my time. And we turned it into this design of the, you know, Perico, which is the parakeets and the puteria, which is a little shorty on the corner of Biscayne. And that became, it became a thing. So it was very cool to turn that into kind of a, a design concept. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. So happy, overjoyed, grateful Blessed to be joined by Ava Sanchez. He is the historian, curator, impresario. I mean, what what can we even call you of Miami Stadium, Miami Stadium LLC? All sorts of swag if you go to yeah. Instagram. I mean, we're going to get into that and the business behind this. But part of me just wants to say, please, please tell me that you hatched this idea at that shady Denny's on 36th and Biscayne. I understand it might no longer be there. Like, hey, for anyone that goes to Miami or goes to Art Basel or is visiting there for Christmas or New Year's, there is this Denny's on, what is it, 36th and Biscayne? 36, dude, that that Denny's, I'll tell you something, man. Like, the things that you see there, it was a show, especially back in the day. It's actually gotten, you know, you still have a little, but back in the day, boy, that, that Denny's, you go in there with like a shotgun and a rosary, man. Like, it was just insane. Anything past the checkers on Biscayne, once you go past 14th <laughs> or 15th, then you know which one I'm talking about. Right. It, you were like literally going in, you know, out of your own peril, you know? 
That Denny's, I mean, if it had a Wi-Fi, I'd, I'd report some of my book there. But it was, you know, in terms of the transubstantial spirit, where a lot is a 24-7 operation amid the prostitution and cocaine oh. explosion and everything. Imagine all the schemes and money launderers and pilots, uh, you know, who spent the night on Biscayne, who hatched schemes at this 24-7 joint. Um, I've had, you know, brokers tell me when they went rogue, they decided to do it at Denny's. Uh, but I understand it's not going to be there for long. That's what I'm hearing. You know, there's always rumors flying around, but I, I heard that it's just anywhere they can grab some property. And, you know, everybody's got that number. So whoever owns it, you know, if the number's right, you know that there's probably a mixed use kind of deal. That's all the rage in Miami now is the whole mixed use development thing. So somebody will probably grab that corner. What was the tipping point in Miami? Certainly, we've, uh, I talk about it a lot. We've talked about it on NPR on PBS, on MSNBC, the great unlock of the pandemic and remote work and specifically hedge fund and tech money coming from high tax states. You think of New York, you think of New Jersey, Connecticut, California, coming to Florida where there isn't a state income tax, right? And so they can get this unlock. And suddenly the, the, you know, I've lived there my entire life mostly. And everybody's like, oh, this is New York South. You knew that. You would go to a Mets-Marlins game and everybody would be rooting for the Mets oh, back in the Queen day. South. But now you have, the you know, Ken Griffin and his hedge fund based there. People giving parts of Miami a look that they never have before. And something definitely tipped four or five years ago. When was it? What was it? Tell me what you saw right on the scene. Oof. You know, it's one of those things that... You you literally just wake up one day and you kind of look around. You're like, where the hell did all these high rises come from? Because that always was the thing was you couldn't go high here because you you know you dig a few feet, you hit water. Well, somebody cracked the goddamn code because we're about to have a 93 story building go up where the uh, one bayfront plaza, the building that was just graffitied wonderfully by all the graffiti writers during Basel, which has never been done here as it's about to be demolished. Waldorf is coming, 50, 60 stories. And I think once they cracked that code and it really started happening maybe a little bit 20 years ago, remember the bubble burst and then it kind of picked up again. And now it's just like right before pandemic and rolling through, but it just hasn't stopped. It, this is what I can't understand. Much... I I was there at ground zero of the real estate collapse there yeah. in 2008 and 2009. And it had gotten so bad that I went with condo vultures you know, might know Peter Zalewski. I went out and I took a boat. I took a shrimping boat out a couple of miles at night. And you look at downtown Miami and Brickell and the skyline, and it was dark. It had looked bombed out. You'd go into yeah. buildings, which were new construction, and you would just hear the fire alarms inside. The places had been abandoned for so long that people had not replaced the fire smoke detector batteries. And that was a sign that kind of, you know, nobody was paying the common fee. The pools oh, were no. going dirty. And they tell you that's when kind of when blood is on the streets, that's when you want to go in and invest. But it would have been yeah, the Miami of 2023 would have been inconceivable to those who experienced Miami at its just, you know, depressive low in 2008 and 2009. Yeah, 100%. I mean, especially for me, having grown up here as a JIT, uh, late 70s through the 80s and 90s, and seeing it now. It, it it's remarkable. I said, Miami's forget New York, Miami's heading towards Dubai. Like, I mean, like the way they kind of want to develop this. And I say, these buildings are wonderful, like architectural marvels and they're really impressive. And, but I'm not a, I'm not a Russian oligarch, so I can't drop 40 mil on, on the penthouse. You know, this isn't for us. 
and hey, everybody's welcome, it's cool, but obviously it affects everybody who's here and the rents are obviously skyrocketing. So a lot of folks I know who are real, real Miami, real 305 people are leaving. Tell me where you started off, where you were born, what your childhood was like, which part of Miami. Take me way back. You know, I was born in New York. My family lived in Jackson Heights, Queens, about a mile south of Shea. I was born at the old Flower Fifth across from Central Park. And we came down late 70s when I was like about five, six years old. So I'm South Floridian. I've been raised down here. I always say I speak English, Spanish, and 305. Mm -hmm. And went to school my whole elementary and, and high school. Went to Columbus High down here, Miami Columbus in Huechete. So I am South Floridian. And Joe, you experienced the maniacal 1980s firsthand? What are the recollections? Man, I I remember, it's amazing the things that you recall. My memory is is pretty sharp. And I recall 1980, the McDuffie riots. Like if it was yesterday, because I went to elementary school at St. Hugh in Coconut Grove. And we had to shut down for a few days. And I remember going back and they, they literally like Molotov cocktailed our little schoolhouse. I was like in the second grade. And I remember, I mean, I literally, I could still smell the, the schoolhouse. And what am I, you know, seven, eight years old. And I remember that all these years later. So yeah, 1980 and going up through that, the cocaine cowboys and bodies being pulled out of the river. And I, I remember this. That was the childhood. You know, and to to bring it to this, uh, the mutiny, which is the subject of my fascination in my book, Hotel Scarface, when the McDuffie riots happened in uh, 1980, it was, this convulsion, uh, the manager of the Mutiny Hotel in Coconut Grove, near your school, battened down the hatches. They brought a bunch of kegs and they put them in front of the doors and the the, the back kitchen doors and everything and whatnot. And a bunch of the staffers and members got coked out and went to the roof of the mutiny uh, with uh, the dopers provided them with submachine guns and they were shooting at everything and at nothing. And as there were shots fired, I'll never forget this anecdote. There were people inside uh, who stayed in the hotel. I guess they weren't charged past a certain night that nobody was allowed to leave because Miami was on fire. They're watching, if I'm correct in this, they're watching Mount St. Helens erupt on the TV, but the footage being grainy because bullets were hitting the antenna on the roof. And in the United States, you think about this part erupting and this part erupting and just the the symmetry of that to imagine that. And this is when Coconut Grove was opulent. But by the time my hotel, you know, the mutiny fell into disrepair in the early 90s and the late 80s, there's there's an article in Newsweek that said Miami's Grove of Crack. Jennifer Capriati, the tennis star was caught smoking crack in Coconut Grove. It's funny how that, that, that cycle just kept turning and to bring me back to you and Coconut Grove. Yeah, the, the Grove, people forget the Grove was this very almost Key Westy. We have angled streets. We have that great Bahamian, you know, history there and the, the early Bahamian settlers, which not enough people talk about. Talk you know? about, right. And so the Grove, I would say, has that sauce. And I went to elementary school. It's still there, St. Hugh Elementary, which the original school was across from the old Haitian cemetery, kind of, you know, right there in the cut. And then Was the old down. dirty incinerator burning when you were in elementary school? You know, I man, I remember that was there. And I mean, you talk about, again, things that, that no, should not Institutional memory, oral history. This is yeah, so vital. Oral, the smells and the sounds of that. They did have the big incinerator there by uh, Carver, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember going through there in the cemetery and they filmed Miami Vice at that cemetery. was a big deal because what was cooler than Miami Vice back in 84, 85? And then they slid down to the church and so that's kind of where I grew up in Coral Gate, 
right off 37th and Coral Way. The Grove was right there. So I was in the Grove as a kid, basically from first to eighth grade. So that was my childhood. It was cool back then. It was quirky. You know, it had its own kind of vibe. There were still roosters that would chase you. Yes. On, uh, you know, Bayfront Park. Uh, and the, the softball diamond. There were various things that you could see. There were elements of uh, the, the Bohemian, Bahamian, you know, yes. founding of the place. Bohemian and Bahamian. And, you know, uh, the, the, the classic 70s film Deep Throat was filmed in Coconut Grove. That's Linda right. Lovelace is from Miami. Like this, all this happened here. Baron Seppi, he lent his home to it. The, you know, the European yes. ladies man who was there, who was a yeah. sculptor and a, you know, Playboy Scout. I mean, people don't <laughs> believe these things because right now Coconut Grove is it's seen better days. I mean, it's kind of sleepy. Yeah. Mayfair has seen better days, but uh when you hear stories from people back in the day, I mean, there was the Omni and the Disco in downtown Miami and there was Coconut Grove and the Mutiny and you know, South Beach was an old age home and it was in heavy dereliction. It's yeah, nothing it God's, like God's waiting you know, room. God's waiting room. It's nothing like what you would see today. Oh, no, Where no, it's no. internationally known and, and known to rock a microphone, if you yeah. will. Nice. I see what you did there, Robin. Yeah, yeah. You slick. Yeah, dude. It, it's the, the Grove. Coco Walk, you know, is gone. There's a new Coco Walk. And I always say respect to them. It, it's very well done and very modern and very pretty. But to me, it feels like it would be more at home in the design district. Because the Grove just had that kind of sauce and that quirkiness to it. And, you know, God bless them, man. You wish them well, but it's just, it doesn't hit quite the same because of obviously what we grew up on in Marino's and the Baja Beach Club and Fat yeah. Tuesdays and Hooters. And that was a totally different Cocoa Walk back in the day. That was wild. No, in the mid 80s, you know, a young reporter named Katie Couric lived in Coconut Grove. She was a, you yes. know, was it Catherine Couric? If you look at the WTVJ things, Don Johnson, who was a pretty mean guy, I understand. He would go between the mutiny and cats and Mayfair. George H.W. Uh, Bush, the vice president with his South Florida Drug Task Force, would stay at the at the Mayfair. Of course. You know, uh, the fast that people go to Monty's for stone crabs across the way. And um, that ecosystem, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like today. You show up at places and there are celebs everywhere in Miami. They own swaths of it. They're... You know, the Ivanka and Jared moved to Indian ah. Creek. Uh, there's Matt Damon who lives there, Phil Collins. I mean, this was not the Miami that I I, I grew no. up with, right? No, it's it's that we we came up around the same time. And I said, you know, it's yeah, it's still Miami. It's still cool. We still get people coming here. We still get celebrities. But back in the 90s, it really, it felt like peak Miami, peak South Beach. Everything peaked. You know, Stallone was down here. He had the Casa Rocco and Vizcaya. Who's his neighbor two doors down? Madonna. That tells you everything. These folks could live anywhere. And back in the 90s, they were living here. And the club scene peaked. It almost seemed like the planets aligned. Everything perfectly where it just peaked. And it was a really, I always say it was just goddamn electric when you went out back in the day, man. Whether it was the Grove or the beach, it, it was something else. Full disclosure, do stay with us. This show podcast to NPR, Spotify, all fine podcatchers. You can find the links at fullderadio.com. Again, fullderadio.com. We have an exciting live show coming up. 
January 31st, 2024. I can't believe it, 2024. I'm still trying to get over 2020. I'm getting my head around that. But Steve Inskeep of NPR will be joining us at the University of Richmond's Robin School of Business. It is sold out. Uh, you could find the link on all of my socials. There's going to be a wait list for it. He's talking about his book on Lincoln trying to keep the country together. It's one of many live shows we're going to have in 2024. I've also been uh, plotting with my guests behind the scenes to attempt to do something big and audacious in Miami. But you can follow uh, the news, all the jazz at handle Full D Radio. If you're just joining us, my esteemed guest is Abel Sanchez. He is the owner, proprietor, curator, impresario of Miami Stadium LLC. Uh, this is my favorite thing on Instagram. I waste a ton of time on Instagram. It's the actual only social app I have on my phone because I would waste too Same. much time, yep. you know? But I love it because I learn something new from you every day. You go and tell me Thank about you. this street corner, about this cat, about this guy who used to hang with, um, you know, uh, the, the the person who inspired Hyman Roth and, and the Godfather. You know this stuff and you know where to marshal this stuff. And at other times when you're kind of cooling your heels, you're sitting at some corner having a, a coffee with a glass of water and a, a fine pastry. And I kind of live vicariously through you. My question to you is... At what point did you decide it's more than a hobby? Maybe there's a commercial impetus to this. You know, I, I think the community decided that for me. I, I always say I'm just a guy who schleps to work, man. I, I've never tried. I'm not on that influencer, you know, trying to be a public whatever. No disrespect to anyone. I get why a lot of folks do it. But I'm not selling energy drinks here. Like, I'm just living my life. I pay, go to work to pay my bills like anyone else. And this little thing started catching on, catching on the Miami Stadium. And I remember people, one of the best compliments I would get is folks would write me, they'd message me and be like, oh, you guys, like, we love you guys. You guys are great. You guys rock. And I'm sitting here like, it's this guy. Like, I, I don't have, I could use a few minions, but I don't have, you know, it was just me, a labor of love. And finally, over the last, I started in 2016 and keep growing organically, word of mouth, word of mouth. And right coming out of pandemic is where you could really feel like, okay, like this is, that's when I dropped my shirts and everything, got my LLC going. And I said, this is, this is legitimate. This is a movement. People coming up to me on the streets, telling me how much they love it, how they learn. They show it to their parents. They show it to their kids. I've had teachers tell me, I wish I would have had you, you know, you were around when I was teaching years ago, like these amazing compliments because I don't realize how many eyes are on it. I'm so kind of in my lane. And that's where really over the past few years, you could really feel like, okay, this this is a thing. Like this means something to people and people are learning. It's always that balance of uh, educational and entertaining that I try to maintain. So is it chiefly swag, your initial foray into this? I mean, t-shirts and stickers. I mean, the t-shirts yeah. when you, you, you know, post the new swag t-shirts, like the one you're wearing right now of, you know, Nelson Aguilar's mutiny card oh, carving a line yeah. through Miami. I mean, people were just, at one, he was super excited when he found out about that. And other people are like, yeah. I got to get my mitts on it. Um, yeah. And then you have this channel now with about 18,000 followers or close to 20,000 followers. Yeah. And a lot of people repost this stuff. And friends of yours, be it Miami History or History Miami Museum or uh, various football players, various people in the know, the owner of the Miami Heat, Talk to me about that multiplier effect of, and, and full disclosure, I'm part of it because I'm a fan. I'm opting into this experience and yeah. I'm not being coerced or paid to re 
you know, broadcast this stuff. It's because I'm I'm legitimately fascinated by it. Man, I you know, Rob, it means a lot coming from you, man. I know I'm doing it right when I have folks such as yourself. Um, I was chopping it up recently with Udonis Haslam at the highlight. He's you know, new owner of the Robote Renegades, longtime follower, ran around 305 day rocking my orange bull shirt. You can't put a monetary value, you know what I mean? That's form of like social currency, street currency that just kind of happens. And that's, again, harkens back to when you see like, oh, this is real. Yuli Diaz, the monster Diaz. You start realizing there's certain people. John Jay, who's one of the most Miami athletes ever. Aside from just so many folks throughout the community, a lot of business owners, that you kind of just become part of their daily lives. It's like reading a newspaper, only now it's in the palm of your hand. And they come to the page every day. Oh, let's see what, what this guy's dropping today, you know. And so I always just try to keep it authentic you know, stay in my lane. Uh, I always say, no, don't really get into religion or politics. Just kind of, I found my my style and my vibe and I know what folks want. And fortunately, it's what I like and just keep it moving through there. And so it transcends so much because the site really is not about you uh, yeah. personally, but they recognize you. Udonis Hanslam will recognize you. This yeah. is a veteran player for the Miami Heat. He's legendary. He lasted longer than, you know, some redwood trees in California. Years, man. 20 years with the Miami Heat, but he's yeah. rocking your shirt, right? An Orange Bowl shirt on yeah. 305 day. And it's not like you you paid him to do that. He found this stuff and no. he wants to wear it. No, he's got quite the shirt collection. Udonis does not, does not lack for style of shirts. So I remember folks, I was actually, funny story, I was in, at an event during, it was some kind of book, uh, book week event they had and Nicolas Cage. So I'm at this event watching Nicolas Cage, I come out, I'd shut my phone off and my phone is just exploding and there's photos and videos and I'm like, what the hell's happening? And it's because everybody spotted him wearing the shirt and gave me the heads up. And then, you know, a few months later, I'm able to thank him because I said, man, I can't repay you for what you did for me. It just brings a certain legitimacy and a certain sauce to what you do. He's a wonderful person. He's all about the community. So, uh, you know, this is when you start realizing like, Oh man, this is, you know, I start seeing people wearing my shirts around town. It's still very surreal. Or they'll come up to me, oh man, I've got three of your shirts, four of your shirts. It's all word of mouth. So, you know, it, you can't you can't predict that or plan that. It just kind of happened organically. I don't want to sound mercenary, but I'm fa I'm legitimately fascinated by this. When a person like a Nick Cage or Udonis Haslam or let's say LeBron gets caught, you know, he's back in town and he's bicycling back and forth to the American Airlines Arena. It's not an apocryphal story like it happened. He's caught wearing your shirt. And if he – the ultimate is if a person like this with a massive following puts it up on Insta or yeah. TikTok or whatever's left of Twitter now that Elon Musk has obliterated right. it. You're not on Twitter. Does that – did you then start seeing a ton of orders? You know, it, it's what you get. You you get a few. My things are kind of, I do limited drops, but I do get after that. You get those folks, oh man, I, I didn't get it. I didn't see it the first time. When are you going to drop again? You have to run it back. I get that a lot, which I think is part of the appeal of what I do is that I do these little 24-hour pre-sales, these ventanitas, where folks can come on and cop whatever design, you know, that I have available as many as they need. We custom print. So there's no oversaturation. If you look, uh, Robin, none of my, look at any of my shirts, not a single one says 305. I stay away from all the usual things, you know, 305 date, all that that we love, but it's so oversaturated that I really just try to do these designs that are original. They're almost like snapshots of my childhood. Yeah. Snapshots of my life in Miami. These are moments. Now you get to wear the moment 
and that's you know that's pretty much what I what I try to capture and stay away from and I think it sets us apart from a lot of what's out there fortunately and you are the nostalgist in chief the torchbearer at a time where a yeah. record number of outsiders are taking over the city and the skyline is just un recognizable, uh, yeah. absolutely unrecognizable. So you're there a couple of weeks ago during Art Basel, which is an, you know, it's an international thing. It's like going to Can Lion. It's a, it's a major deal. It's like going to South yeah, by Southwest. Um, and, and it wasn't there when I was growing up in Miami and the whole part of town, that's the arts district or whatever it took over was yeah. just dereliction prostitution oh. central. Yeah. So you're there. And then this, this, uh, this building in downtown Miami, in the heart of downtown Miami, that's been there for the longest time is getting knocked down for something much more, you know, modern and mixed use and condo and super high rise level. But you're telling us not just the history from the 1960s to the present, but going back to the very founding of Miami and the residue of the Royal Palm Hotel, which yes. was built on a Tequesta burial mound yes. area. And it was, and, and even the baseball diamond and everything, you're taking us back. Really, there's no one else doing this. It's you and Casey Paquette that do it, that, Guys, if you're noticing Art Basel, like the first time we've had a high rise in this town, legally and completely spray painted over in right. the name and service of art. But let me take you back 125 years. And you're videoing that on your phone. Yeah. You know, and the funny thing is, I always say it's, it's all kind of up here in the hard drive. And there's an old saying, if you cannot explain it simply, you do not know it well enough. And I decided to pull over because I saw this building, the one Bayfront Plaza, built in 1959 as the first National Bank of Miami. And this thing went viral across the globe. There was a five points in New York, up in Brooklyn, that was legendary. And we kind of jokingly called this our 305 points, which was a building that got... So all these wonderful graffiti writers came in and blessed this, as I say, before it got demolished. And everybody's sharing it, and nobody was talking about the history. And I was literally driving to the corner of Miami, which is a cool bar after work. I said, let me pull over and do a quick two, two and a half minute video. And that exploded. And, I, and people told me, like, you were like the voice for this building. Like nobody was talking about what it was born as, what it became, who owns it, what it's going to become, which is one bayfront, but 93 stories. And then going back 120 plus years to when it was the Royal Palm Park across from Henry Flagler's Royal Palm Hotel, where our first official baseball diamond was carved out, where the first major league team ever visited Miami in 1911, which was the New York Giants, all of that happened on that block. So it was cool to get that out there, and, and it just it got its legs and, and went viral. It's wild. Institutional memory. You're not some old person, some old codger out there, you know, trying to hold on to these archives at the, you know, the old dusty musky museum in downtown Miami. You're a young person telling us. And if I want to go a little further and click on the link, I can find out that it was a Tequesta burial mound. I could find out that, you know, when I moved to Miami in 98, there was the Miami Circle. They were going to build this gigantic condo at the mouth of the Miami River and Brickell Avenue. And they found this, you know, this, this perfect circle with, what was it? A manatee skeleton, shark skeleton, all the things seem to be pointing one way. I mean, this is a, a massive find. You don't, a lot of people make the fallacy of thinking Miami is only Let's say, you know, recently after the Civil War founded, 1896 or something like that. But there are so many voiceless people, literally the ghosts of the Miami of 1,000, 1,500 years ago. No one ever talks about it, especially today. Yeah, no, you know, I I always say this. Miami was officially incorporated, yes, uh, July 28, 1896. But Miami, 
you know, itself, this land, this was inhabited by the Tequesta thousands of years ago. So, and obviously it made sense at the mouth of the Miami River. So the whole Fort Dallas and what is now Brickell and everything, that was the, the native grounds. And that's why when they started uh, preparing to build the our first major hotel, you know, the Flagler Royal Palm, they they dug and, you know, oh, wait a minute. Like we got skull and bones and different things here. You realize this goes back thousands of years. It happened again recently as they're trying to develop another site. They went down and they have to halt everything because I always say you got to respect that. Was that the DEA building on Brickell, yeah, the Capitol yeah. Grill? Yeah, that was not DEA. It was the, the custom, customs yeah. building. Uh, the dopers used to talk about the yes. customs building. Oh, hi. They go out in the Miami River past this <laughs> place. These <laughs> suckers, right? And it turns out that that too is on a native native burial yeah. ground. Joe Robbie Stadium. All these different areas, even up there. But yeah, here it made sense because it was by the mouth of the river. So that's where you think civilization would kind of gravi- you know, gravitate to and early pioneers. And yeah, the, the, the Native Americans at Tequesta were here long before any of us came over, brother. Full disclosure, please do stay with us. This show podcast to NPR, Spotify, all fine podcatchers indeed, including and especially Apple Podcasts. The link, please subscribe, is fullderadio.com. Again, the handle is fullderadio on all the socials. Please do follow. Abel, I have to ask you about, and I know you don't want to get into politics and you don't want to touch third rail things because you appeal to a wide swath of, you know, there could be New Yorker type Miamis, tech bro, crypto Miamis, culinary Miami, sports Miami, MAGA Miami, Trumpista Miami, uh, you know, Cuban grandfather yes. Miami. But you do have to wonder about the city being its at its hottest ever, at its most FOMO, at its most saturated, and arguably the most inflation hit city in the United States, where you talk about the PE ratio, the price to earnings ratio, what things cost versus what the earnings potential of a median resident is right there. It's just a huge chasm. It even makes New York City look you know, more competitive by comparison. Um, but what happens about sea level rise? This is something that visits us now when I go and I go downtown to my old stomping grounds. I can't recognize it. There used to be surface parking atop the burial ground area where there's now a gigantic Whole Foods and many other uh, high rises, Brickell Avenue, which is kind of the Wall Street yeah. Park Avenue of Miami, absolutely unrecognizable. But at the same time, there are days during super high tide or king tide where you and I can go inland several miles in at Miami International Airport and water is gurgling yeah. up from the aquifer and we have to cover our sneakers in plastic bags. Um, how are people so oblivious about this? You know, I, I think it, it's if you live in those areas, you're not oblivious. If you don't, you'll see it on the news or online and you kind of shrug like, oh, that's terrible. They got to figure out the drainage. Definitely. Um, I always say what what's rising faster, you know, the, the cost of living or the sea level, you know, and, and we're going to find out right now. It feels like cost of living. But there are areas that, yeah, even on the beach that when it when it rains, Robin, like, yeah, you literally have to bag yourself up just to get to your freaking car. That's no bueno, as we say down here, especially with people, everything they have to do to live down here at this point. I say Miami's the land of the hustle and and second and third jobs. You know, there's people, I know guys with double degrees who are driving Uber. You know what I mean? Just to, to make ends meet, they got kids especially. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see moving forward what how they kind of figure this out our government city government quote unquote i'll leave it at that uh you know needs to get on the ball and figure this out 
you know? And people don't, I mean, you hear stories about this from like Tehran, Iran. Yeah. The places of inflation, like real inflation of the likes of which like in Argentina, where if you're used to 120% inflation, you're literally taking money from the bank or the instant it hits the account and you're spending it that day because it's going to deteriorate. And you're starting to hear more than anecdotally people with degrees having to gig, having to do certain things in service of that Wall Street and tech economy that's been building in downtown Miami, but certainly can't afford to live in any of these high rises that are going up. Oh, no, no, that's that's not for us. You're getting an, an influx of a lot of folks. Miami's always had its tourism and, and folks from everywhere, which is kind of a you know, reflection of America, which is great. But it, it's you see a lot of, I think, uh, Russian dollars, <clears throat> Malaysian dollars, Brazilian dollars, and those buildings are beautiful, and God bless anyone that could afford it. I don't hate on anybody. But it affects, obviously, the rest and a lot of folks here. And I know, like I said, a lot of real, real Miamians who are, are they have no choice but to leave because it's just, you know, they're, they're up to their neck. Seems like the city has always, in its entire existence, been selling us this dream, this, this mirage. Yeah. Uh, there was not a lot of industry there. I mean, you know, tech and finance and crypto only recently descended upon the place and mass, right. but it was selling a lifestyle. A, uh, you know, you say God's waiting room, um, the sun and everything else, but there are there are real barriers and, and threats to that right now. And actually, one thing that you've done amazingly well, you and Casey at Miami History, is cover the lesson of 1926. Mm. Um, you know, you could go back and look at early Miami Heralds and Miami Metropolis and Miami Daily News publications yeah. of selling that swamp dream to kind of out of staters and and everything was giddy in the roaring 20s until the great hurricane hit. Was it in September of 1926, which completely pushed the reset button on the entire city? Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, man, that the damage that that did was incredible. I think it was like a few hundred millions back then. So imagine what that translates today. Like it, it literally, I think, I mean, Andrew and 1926 kind of were the, were the two big ones. Resets, yeah. Yeah, you talk about hitting the reset, boy, and then the crash of 29. So it was like, you know, left jab followed by right hook. And, and it got rough there for a minute. You know, we were able to, to bounce back, but it was, yeah, that was, that was devastating. So, but nobody seems to say that, well, history rhymes again. Forget it. I mean, if people, you know me, you were there in 2008 and 2009. I was covering it for Business Week. I'll never forget. There was this shot that our photographer got from uh, near the Miami Herald building in the causeway. They got a bunch of these, you know, black turkey vultures that visit every oh, winter. yeah, yeah. That go around the courthouse in downtown Miami, just staring at the skyline of downtown Miami because the vulture investors were waiting to get there. No one believes me today when I tell them, look. Miami was a wasteland in 2008. You could have gotten there with cash and bought things at, at 40% off. Oh, but 100%. again, to take it back to institutional memory, certainly nobody's talking about the risk of a hurricane and the lesson of 1926. I mean, that bankrupted so many people oh. and institutions, and Miami took forever to recover from that. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. And yeah, you know, I'm a firm believer, those, it's the old saying, those who don't know their history are, are bound to repeat it. So it's like, you got to go back and kind of see, like, I'm very present in what I do and looking forward, but you have to know, you know, what kind of happened and what led us here and, and look at our history. And yeah, 1926 was, that was, that was brutal back then, man. Definitely in 08, you were here. And I remember hearing stories, Robin, of those beautiful new high rises that went up and they were, they were empty. Like I, I heard stories that there were literally 
a lot of local, I think it was porn, you know, filmographers, whatever, they were shooting scenes there. That's what they were loaning yeah, it out for. Yeah, it was for. the only revenue you could get on The only revenue you porn. could get is loaning out to some company to shoot to shoot a porn. I mean, because it was empty. Nobody was buying because the damn thing collapsed. So is it going to happen again? Uh, you know, time will tell, right? Abel Sanchez of Miami Stadium, in the six or so minutes we have left with you, tell me more about you and where you're going to take this. I mean, I think about it and... Could you actually be in events impresario? There requires some risk and some heavy lifting. I've tried it myself. I've done Persian restaurant pop-ups up here yeah. in Virginia. There are things that I really want to do. I'm just going to put it out there. You know, Chef Jeremiah, who I've had on the show, who worked with Rick Ross as his personal chef. I've spoken to uh, Douglas Rudolph, who has Tap 42, which was the owner of Rudy's Burgers. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Right? We, all, we are mutual friends with Burger Beast. I think if a bunch of us put That's our heads great. together and did like a – a Lums, Rudy's, Woody's kind Oof. of pop-up into what's left you know, in downtown Miami. There would be risk to it, but there is a significant reservoir of nostalgia and moreover, significant hot money in Miami for live events. Does this stuff excite you? Are you really ready to take that kind of leap into 24? Oh, yeah. I mean, I look, I, I always say I'm open to my eyes and ears are open. I've already had several people approach me. I was just talking to Beast yesterday and he had something that he wanted to work on. A uh, gentleman named Derek G, who's a local legend. I mean, this guy's like local culture on legs. He's a renowned photographer. He's worked with everyone from Rick Ross to Lil Wayne. He reached out to me this year. I did my first <coughs> pop-up ever with him. He has other projects that he's working on. I was just hanging out with him during Basel. So anyone like Beast, I always say if it feels right and it's legitimate, like like Burger Beast, like Derek G., uh, WLRN reached out to me to do a documentary to help on local black baseball history, which is actually coming out next that month. Amazing? That's surreal, Isn't that amazing? Robin. Yeah. Like we're going to show it at the historic lyric. So all these little wow. things, if it feels right and it feels real, I'm for it. Any events, you know, I'm for that. If it's like I said, if it's legitimate and I think it's something for the community, then yeah, I'm, I'm down to do it, man. You know, we've recently gotten into the trope, like when I ask, uh, you know, we had Pete Buttigieg live here uh, in December from the University of Richmond earlier in the month, at the beginning of the month. And I closed the show by asking, who should we have on? And I always wanted to ask you, who should I have on live in Miami? I made an overture to Leighton Walsh, you know, Walshy Fire, yeah. the DJ. He went yeah. to my high school. I'm thinking of putting together the audacity to ask Rick Ross to do one. Um, you know, if they would return my calls and where would I do it in your mind's eye, because you are going to be there sitting in the front row. Where should we try to do this? Where, I mean, we, I say, you know, Oof. creatively, <laughs> you know, Rose would be fantastic. He just, he got a place down here on star Island and I know his, actually his videographer, uh, Shula, the Don, he goes by. Who's I fantastic. love that. There's a guy named Shula, There's the Don. There's a guy named Shula, the Don. I'm shouting you out, my brother, <laughs> super supportive of what I do. Very talented young man, this guy. And he does videography and he travels with Ross and everything. So he, here's somebody who could literally record and capture everything. But I think Rosé Shula the Don. Shula Could the you better? I mean, you say Don Shula is legend. He's like, right. you know, one of the founding fathers of modern Miami. You right. could say the late Dolphins coach. But for a guy to put his handle on and say Shula the Don. You I could just, look him up. I just want to meet him. I just want to meet him. Oh, he's great. He's on Instagram. <laughs> you look up Shula the Don yeah. and there he is. And he works with these guys. So I could see this happening through Shula, Rosé. Rosé be fantastic. He's very Miami. You know, Carroll City came down here when he was young, went to Carroll City High, played football. He's he you know moved back down here. He still has the promised land up there in Fayetteville, but he's down here, and I think it'd be great. Where to do it? 
He owns a Checkers. He owns several things. Wingstop. You could do it at the Checkers or the Wingstop, and I promise you he'd be down to do it. Have you ever thought about me? Wait for it. This is, gonna, this is where my dad joke side kicks in. Winwood from Winwood. Steve Winwood from Winwood. Boom. Boom. Why not? That <laughs> How am I going to get Steve Winwood? Back in the high life from Miami. I mean, people are attempting stuff that I've never seen in my life in parts of towns that you would want to avoid in your little family sedan back in 2000, but are now super piping hot. And, you know, the creatively promiscuous part of me just really wants to go and attempt something down there uh, for this Miami moment because we know it's not going to be forever and there's going to be a plunge. Yeah, the wave is hitting right now. You could do it. There's a lot of places to do it, but yeah, this would be a fun time to do it and shoot your shot, man. I th- I think Rosé would be fantastic. I mean, you can go locally from anyone from DJ Laz to Derek G, but man, Rosé would be something. And I love that I get to collaborate with you. I love that I got to meet you over Instagram and the book brought us together. And it's one of those, you know, it's like, you know, Tom Friedman would write about these things in the old hoary columns that we're such a flat world and we're never as connected as we are. And here we are in a Riverside session, you know, it doesn't matter that I'm in Virginia and you're at a Ventanita and, you know, (laughs) little Haiti, (laughs) but it's beautiful. You make content and you, I, you know, here's to your 24 and the business and the passion. And, you know, it's a through line in our show, the business of culture and the culture of business. And it seems like you've been able to really marry the two. You know, it's perfect way to put the bow on it, Robin, because I always say Miami Stadium is where history and culture collide. That's kind of what I do. I'll take you from Henry Flagler to the old club Rolex and back. That's where I'm trying to get you because to me, it's all history. It's all Miami and it's all history. So that's exactly what I'm trying to do, brother. Abel Sanchez, historian, impresario, Ah. uh, man about town. Miami Stadium LLC. You have to check it out at Insta at Miami Stadium. Thank Where you. else can they find your swag and your materials if, if they want to get even more, Abel Sanchez? Oh, simple. You go to uh, Miami Stadium on the gram, and then the, the link is in the bio, but the actual page is miamistadium.bigcartel.com. So you could go there, hit products, and you'll see my entire collection, everything I've done from shirts and caps to art prints, man. My man, I'm so grateful to have you on the show. You're the man. I'm just trying to be more like you, brother. <laughs> Full disclosure, special thanks to Claire Morgan and Case Graham at Notterly. We podcast to NPR, Apple, Spotify, all the fine podcatchers everywhere. The link, please subscribe and rate us and tell your friends, is fulldradio.com. Again, fulldradio.com. Follow along on all the socials at handle fulldradio, where you will find details on huge live events coming up at the University of Richmond, including in January of 2024, Steep inskeep of npr's morning edition a shout out to our listeners on npr member station radio iq message me if you would like to carry full disclosure on your air my dms are always open and catch me every week on both msnbc and npr's here and now i'm robin farzad thank you for listening back with you next week 